You're listening to Creative Voices, sponsored by Treebark Store. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode of Creative Voices. I'm joined today by my friend Ulton Sharkey. Ulton, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. You're very welcome. So Ulton, you reached out to me when you saw I was looking for some guests and you had an idea that maybe you'd be able to help people who want to move their business to online in this current kind of scenario or how to function better. Could you tell us maybe a little bit about yourself and what you do and, and how that process might work? Right, yeah. When when it kicked off, I saw um, a lot of people putting up messages online how they were closing their physical businesses but keeping their online ones open. And there's plenty of people up there that, uh, that don't have uh, an online presence or an e-commerce type one where they can put payments through. And, and quite recently, I had an artist whose website I do and she has a book coming out and she wanted to basically build an online shop within her existing website but just for this one book and just for this reason because it was um the other channels that she would normally have sold it on were going away in, in this environment so i quoted for that and it was obviously way too much um for a single book um and i'd give her a couple of other options and the one she kind of settled on which is the very the cheap and cheerful easy to do one will work for anybody so i said you just keep in contact with the people that you're normally in contact with your um your customers people that are interested in what you do and have them email you if they want this book and because then you can send them something like a paypal link and get the payment in that way and send out the book yourself and you can manage it and that's a great way to get started with e-commerce because it's it's low risk you're not jumping in um with a big bill for a build on something that may or may not do and uh, and that's a big thing on the internet if you build it, they will come was kind of a mantra after the dot-com bubble that um, that's obviously untrue. So people change business models to try and keep things nice and simple to begin with. And I generally uh, recommend that kind of approach unless you have a large pre-existing business that has all these relationships and you're transitioning them because then you can jump in. You usually have the finance to do it, um, but also you have your own structures in place uh, to transition those relationships too. And a lot of those bigger companies want to uh, jump in and get started um, a couple of rungs up the ladder rather than at the very, very beginning. That's pretty solid advice all around, to be fair. Yeah, and then, so you asked a little bit about me. Uh, I'm originally from North Roscommon. We have family business there, and um, I went to UCD for my undergraduate degree, studied business and law there, and then came back to Galway. Uh, after that, a lot of my friends were in Galway, so got a job here for, for a summer and that extended for a bit more until I found a, a master's I was interested in in NUI Galway, and that was a master's in e-commerce. That was around the time where a lot of the courses that were available were more about managing information systems and working for large companies, and it wasn't exactly the kind of thing I was into. It was the older side of stuff, so this one had... Um, e-commerce particularly mentioned an internet-based business rather than systems-based business like offline networks and things mm -hmm. so uh, it really caught my eye I went on a chat to him and got on that course and that was around the time I started working building websites myself and, and building servers and messing around with that kind of stuff um, and then they had a placement which was great so I worked with a company in Galway here um, run by a guy called Mike Furick and that company was called Advanced Learning, and they did um, ECDL software. If you remember that computer driving license? Yes, yes, yeah. I do indeed. So we had this stuff. It was developed in Flash, and it was 
like screens from Excel and Word and all the parts of the driving license and it would show you what to do in an animated way and then ask you to do it and then quiz you at the end of it and all that good stuff for learning where you, you see it done, you do it yourself, you get quizzed on it, really good learning. But that was around the time that um, internet-based models were kind of coming up a bit more and what advanced learning we're doing, we're selling uh, server-based solutions for large companies as well as individual CDs that you would Put into your computer to run this stuff on so that transitioned from that kind of a model to what it is now and now it's called allison.com and allison.com is a massive online free education platform they have i think it's over 11 million users at the moment and all of their content is free so you can learn pretty much everything there's courses on loads of stuff there now and it's supported by advertising and it's supported by you can buy a certificate at the end of it once you've completed your course you can buy t-shirts and things like this and if you're a teacher or you want to have a group of people together say you're a hr manager you can pay to get rid of the ads and you can pay to have groups of people and there's a bunch of options in there so because of the opening it up like this and getting that number of users that business model can survive and thrive and they they make good um good courses that way so after after allison.com i went and worked in a research project in anyway about distributed learning kind of building on from that and we were using teleconferencing and this was in 2007 microsoft had just their their Sorry, it was 2006, 2007, and the beta versions of Office 2007 were new at that time, and we were kind of testing them with this project of students in the US, students in the north of Ireland, and students in Galway working together on a distributed team using Hewlett Packard tablets and all kinds of stuff that was really new. So it broke all the time because it's all beta stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so my job was to keep all that running and, and make sure the students could get their project done. Um, so that was really interesting. We had like a marketing course university in uh, Massachusetts and we were the IS tech people. Um, I can't even remember what they, but there was a, there was a business crew and there was, there was four different elements to it. Um, but we also had like American college students in meetings with Irish college students who were much better able to talk, but the Irish guys were really, really smart uh, as well. Yeah. So getting them used to dealing with like um, people on other continents and the culture of that and how they might talk a bit more, but you have to listen to the right people and allow people to talk, getting all that stuff done was, was part of it too. Um, it's a pretty broad experience so far in fairness. Right, good. Um, and then after that, I began a PhD in 2008 and we were in a group of people looking at decision making and information systems. And what mine, the path I went down in it was looking at consumer experience in and decision making in online shops in particular. And in that I adapted this concept from positive psychology, which is called flow theory. And in kind of day-to-day -day use flow is being in the zone or being on the ball or if you play music it's often called being in the pocket when you're just jamming with somebody and it's just going really really well it's happening yeah yeah and then as soon as you realize this is going really really well it breaks it because <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't <laughs> think about it <laughs> right uh, so that kind of immersive experience that you get from those kind of things this optimization of experience i, I use that to measure customer experience and the way people interact with online shops because they'd been doing it a bit in in Asia and Japan papers came out of there with uh, this kind of measurement in computer gaming 
Um, so I transitioned that to work with uh, online shops and how you could measure people's experience in online shop. So after I completed that in 2011 and went for a lecturing job, I was encouraged to go for a lecturing job at the time because it was, um, there was a hiring ban on, it was really hard to get work in academia. But when I had started the PhD, I had no intentions of going into academia. And when I got the job and worked in it for a while, I quickly realized and remembered why <laughs> it's not a thing <laughs> for me. It's a very tough job lecturing. Um, and it's it's kind of okay, I guess, if you intend on doing it for your life, because when you get later on in it, the stuff that's really hard at the beginning becomes part of what you do and it's easier. But of course, the pay at the beginning is very low and the work is very high and that kind of transitions a little bit it's the other a way. barrier to get through. So, yeah. Right. And you have to be a really good researcher and a really good teacher and really good dealing with um, uh, students and running courses and creating courses, all kinds of stuff. Um, so during all these things, I had been doing various websites and e-commerce websites for people and keeping that that up. So the, the lecturing job was actually a half-time position, but it was taking up most of my time because I was new to it. And when I was writing up the PhD, I paused a few clients that I had been freelancing e-commerce stuff with telling them I've, I've got to write this thing up so I'm going to concentrate on that but when I'm done with it I'll, I'll come back to you and I wasn't getting back to them because I was spending all my time trying to do this half-time lecturing job because it was a full-time job for me being new to it um, so I, I did the lecturing job for a year um, it kind of takes a year unless you leave the you'd leave the school in the lurch if you didn't sort of complete the full year properly um, so I told the, the head of school about halfway through, um, this probably isn't for me, but I'll, I'll finish it out. You know, I'll, we'll do well with it. Um, yeah. Just to give them some chance to get somebody else into role and think about that. And I kind of ramped up some of the, the clients then to come online when I was coming free from that a bit. And I went full time into it then. And that's that's nine years ago now. And it's grown every year since. So I'm, I'm delighted I jumped into it. So you've probably, as we said there, you've probably worked with a, a bit of a broad spectrum of Irish-based clients so far than in that case. Right. Yeah. So I have a good few clients in Ireland, but um, a lot of my clients are from are distributed all over the world. I tend to bid on contracts that are online and I, I run various boards or are involved in various boards and communities on the internet, particularly with a, a certain content management system that I've worked with since it since it started really so i'm quite expert in it and that's called joomla so i work in a lot of these oh groups. yes yeah you know of joomla cool yeah i'm actually worried about you oh great it's probably the second most popular content management system in the world wordpress is the one everybody knows joomla is probably second and then third is one called drupal which um which fewer people know and then there's a few specialists I definitely haven't heard of that one <laughs> right so WordPress tends to be the one that everybody knows and gets started with, and it's they're all really, really good. There's nothing wrong with any of them. And if you already are running one of these systems, whatever it is, you should probably stick with that. If you come to somebody, if you're running Joomla and you go to somebody and you ask them advice and they happen to be an expert in WordPress, chances are they'll try and transition you over. And all of them are fine, um, unless you get into very specialist stuff. But they need plugins or they have plugins and extensions to transition them to what you want them to do. So if you want a membership site or a subscription site or an online shop, or if you just want to collect people's emails or do something else, because it's not necessarily always about selling and gathering money online. It could be that what you need to boost your business is sharing the content or exposure or some other call to action. So even if you just yeah. have a content site, it can be useful to have some kind of a call to action like 
sign up for our mailing list uh, and things like that. Yeah, so, so yeah. I guess at a time like this, it's it's important really, isn't it, to make people aware that you're still around and, as you said, maybe keep in touch with your, your clients, even if you can't actually have products available for them. Right, and this is what I was thinking about when I um, when I sent that message to you. I've always told people when they come to me and they're people come to me and they think that a technological solution, a website will magically make their business double or something. And yeah. if you've ever tried it, you know that that doesn't work. <laughs> and what I tell them is business is fundamentally the same, whether you're online or offline, you still need to build and maintain relationship with your customers. And the internet can be very helpful in managing communication with your customers and helping to foster those relationships. But it's really just a tool and you do need humanity behind it. Maybe an understanding that the identity of how you put yourself out there as a person, as a business, must be transitioned into that process online as well and, and have the same kind of feel to it. Exactly. And that's kind of what I do. So I take these open source content management systems and their extensions and I integrate these technologies in a way that matches the way the business works already. If it is an up and running business or if it's a new thing, if it's a new venture for somebody, I'll show them options for best practice in the types of thing that they're trying to do. And we'll create a solution out of that. Yeah. Okay. So for example, for us, we were lucky. I just actually started on our own online shop not long before uh, this whole situation evolved. So I had a lot of the content in place and the, the structure and the payment system and the delivery charges and all that. But for someone who is new to business or maybe hadn't explored online yet, like what would be your top advice for them right now? What, what should they be working at at this time to try and get that ball rolling and get it done as quickly as possible? Well, if you want to jump in and get started and think about what's the easiest way. So I already gave that example of the, the lady who wanted to sell. Yes. Book. Yeah. Uh, and particularly if you don't have a lot of finance, um, but you, you might have very little cash flow at the moment, but you might be time rich. You're probably not rich on either cash flow or time. Everybody's quite busy uh, at the moment, but jump in and do something. Um, and I'll walk through a couple of types of things that are out there. So people might have a better understanding of the types of things. Um, and how they work. So the easiest one to get started with is something like Shopify and they're called hosted solutions. There's Shopify, big commerce, Volusion, even I think Wix has an e-commerce option. Um, or even you could sell, depending on what you do, on something like adverts or done deal. They're still e-commerce platforms. You can still put stuff up and sell it there. Yeah. They're called hosted solutions. They can be a little bit restricted, but they're low cost for a new entrance. There's a certain amount a month, usually around $30 a month. Shopify are offering three months free at the moment, I've heard. Right. A lot of them will have these um, introductory things. But the problem with any of these is uh, you still need to do the work. There's still a lot of work to be done. But even if you don't have, even if you come to a guy like me to do something, there's still a bunch of work that I'll get you to do. And a lot of the times, the first meeting I have with somebody, I joke about all the homework I've given them. So no matter what, yeah, no matter what you're selling, you will need information about your products that you might not necessarily have, particularly if you're a bit old school, if you have stuff on shelves and you don't have them like integrated with a scanning system. Um, so what, what your web developer will need or what you will need if you're doing it yourself will always be the same. You have a set of products or services that have attributes and you need to write those down or put them in a spreadsheet. So get a spreadsheet and have a column with your product names. That's fairly obvious. But there's another thing that you'll need called product SKU, and that's a stock keeping unit. So people in retail, you, you probably know what that is. You've worked in yeah. businesses, yeah. Uh, but a lot of people don't. So that's just a unique code for each product. You can use the manufacturer one if you don't want to make one up, 
um, but you can just use like three letters. So three bar store, you might go TBS001 for the first product. And as long as it's different, that'll be an identifier in the system. And that's great when somebody calls in on the phone and they say, do you have the, the blue mug with the thing on it? And they describe it <laughs> you're like, there's like 10 different blues in that man. And I don't know what, what yeah, yeah. illustration you're talking about. What's, what's the SKU on the page you're looking at? And you'll know exactly which one they're talking about from that. Um, so text describing the product, pictures of the product, either from the manufacturer or ideally your own one, if you're, if you're into photography and you can get the lighting pretty decent, the price of course, and things like product attributes. So the weight of it, the dimensions and whatever other quality indicators are there. If it's a, a cup or a mug or something, you might need to talk about the volume that it holds or if it's made of a particular material, whether it's good for microwave or temperature, all products have these kind of attributes and you want to write those down in here because they're the things that people decide on when they can't pick up and touch these things. Okay. So yeah, like you said, that's a good bit of homework for people first. And I guess that's something you can work on right now. Anyone who knows their products, knows their stock, they probably could have access to that information easily enough right now when they have the time. And then from there, I suppose you're probably talking about payment solutions and how to take payments off people. And I know that a lot of these systems will probably integrate with other versions of payments. So maybe talk a little bit about that, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So these hosted solutions, one of the restrictions tends to be that you have to use either their payment system or something like PayPal uh, is already built into it. Now, that's quite easy to do. It takes a lot of the hassle from you. But things like PayPal and Stripe are called their classification as a payment bureau. It's very easy to sign up. Um, they will only take money off you when you earn something, but they'll charge a higher fee uh, per transaction than the other type, which is a payment service provider. So WorldPay and companies like this are payment service providers. That means you have to have a merchant account. If you've ever, if you, if you take physical credit cards, you'll know these kind of terminology as well. Mm. And they can be a little more difficult to set up with. You have to have a contract. They will give you a, a monthly fee, something like 30 or $40. And then within that, there'll be maybe a thousand transactions or 5,000, whatever their numbers are built in. And beyond that, it'll be a certain percentage. Uh, or sometimes it's the $30 plus a much smaller percentage than the, than the PayPal's per transaction. So that's a great thing to move over to when you've built up a bit already and you start realizing, okay, so we're getting some traction on this and uh, people like what we're doing, but we're getting a bit hammered on the pricing. Um, a lot of the for every euro we earn this amount goes to paypal so it at that point you might have enough uh, cash built up that you would look into these other options that are a bit more of a commitment um, and any of your developer can can uh, integrate those things within the self-hosted option the other type of like e-commerce website you a lot of web developers or web development companies might have their own software that they developed so they're called proprietary systems but if they don't have that, what they will be using is one of those content management systems or a, a particular e-commerce focused system um, that they that you can download and install on a web server yourself. And if you're quite tech savvy, you can do that yourself. But if you if you don't have the skills or if you're not really interested in it, it's really worth getting somebody else to do it because you'll be off the starting blocks a lot quicker than if you you know, if you're trying to learn as you go and you'll make fewer mistakes. So the big ones mm -hmm. there, 
The one I use is Joomla with Virtuomart, and that's available at joomla.org. WordPress uses an extension called WooCommerce is the most popular for that, and that's at wordpress.org. And then Drupal has one that's just called Commerce, a nice handy name. Then the other big ones in e-commerce are Magento, Press to Shop, and OpenCart. But there's a bunch of different uh, ones of those. And really, if you're not doing it yourself and you don't want to look about all the options on all these, go to a developer that you trust and, um, and go with their recommendation on that. But within those systems, there's a lot more control over things like um, what payment systems you use and how you configure things. But also, there's a thing, when you're selling or you're doing anything on a platform like um, even Facebook or Instagram or Shopify, any of these where you don't actually control them, those uh, enterprises that run those massive businesses can change the rules at any point. And they've done that before on Facebook where they changed the way that um, the number of people would see what you post up there. And mm-hmm. that can really influence people's businesses in a short, short time. So if you're depending on, on Facebook for relationships with your customers um, and all of that, if they change something like that, you can see a massive drop in your uh, income quite quickly. So you can't kind of avoid these things. You need to be on whatever platforms your customers are hanging out on, but you should spread across them. So if you find that you're massively dependent on one of these things, you really need to look at that and look at what would happen. Exactly. Um, Disaster um, type recovery. And even the thing that we're in at the moment, some companies may have thought about what could happen if this if this kind of a situation um, would happen, how would they survive yeah. it. But it is pretty unprecedented. To be fair too, I think you have a good point there because I've seen people who were, say, very heavily invested in their Facebook page before. And often you'll find, with, especially with smaller businesses, when they start out, God knows who owns that Facebook page or who started for them. And then disaster can hit if someone leaves the company and suddenly you don't have access to the thing that you depend on. Right, and that's that's a really interesting point. I've written a blog post about that, um, and more than that, and I call it having control of your digital assets. So lots of the time, I will get a new client on board, and I'm asking them, okay, so you have, so what I normally do isn't, is usually getting a company that has some experience in e-commerce and they want to jump up to the next level. So they usually have, and you know, most companies have some kind of a website at this stage. Um, it's usually not completely blank slate. So I'll ask them, okay, so where are you hosted? Do you have the login details for that? Where's your domain registrar? Do you have login for that? Are they the same thing? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about at all here? And a lot of the times <laughs> yeah. they don't. So, look, why are you looking at me like that? Yeah, they're like, is that, is that like my email? Like, email's another problem we need to talk about because that's probably through the same DNS. And But yeah, let's just talk about the basics. So I've written this blog post that explains what all that stuff is and how to try and find out who is the legal owner of these things. So oftentimes, like it's a bit easier now because people know more, but uh, 10 years ago, they'd have an intern for six months and they might have registered the domain in their own name. And and then they're actually the legal owner of that domain. So if you have treebarksdoor.ie and you come to me and suddenly I go, okay, do you remember Michael that worked for you for three months, a couple of years ago? (laughs) He legally owns that. We need to find him and get in contact with him so he can transfer to you. Otherwise we have to go through this process. So that kind of stuff happens. So so it's really important to control all your own digital assets uh, as well and take control over them. Yeah. 
that I've, I've been in this exact scenario where I, a business group I used to work with locally and we tried to renew the domain and the job we had to go through Black Knight to find the guy who originally registered it and get him to transfer it over to us was an absolute nightmare. Right. And Black Knight are an excellent uh, company to deal with. They're really friendly. They follow great rules. They were actually great in fairness. Yeah. yeah. They're the easy part, but it's trying to find that guy. So consider that when it's something like um, GoDaddy in the US where it's very difficult to get somebody on the phone if at all their chat can be okay if you get the right guy and particularly if you give them the right information but if you're new to that and you know you're having a tough time it's it's really difficult but it can be done and it's a good time to do it when there is no rush on it and um, because it can take yeah. a little bit of time a bit of hassle um i have a client who has a bunch of different domains and they've they have operations in australia the uk um and ireland and i think france as well now and they have domains for all of those things for multiple products as well. They don't use them all, but now they have them all pointed at their main domains. They don't, they don't have 50 websites. They have one website, but they have all these domains. But they were registered um, from ex-employees and in with different registrars. And we got them all moved together actually into a Black Knight account. And they all sit there now. Um, so we had great difficulty with some of those things because in Australia, the rules are a little bit different and you need a, a corporation registered in Australia to have certain domains there. Um, so we had to, they had to figure out who, who within their corporation in Australia and managing from Ireland uh, used to own that and figure all that stuff out. But we, we got it done. It did take like six months and it was a thing that they weren't didn't have to happen overnight. You know, it wasn't, we need that domain to run this massive marketing campaign that we've been working on for six months. So it's good to do it when, um, right. Like now, if, if it's a problem that you're thinking of out there. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying, the key messages really are is a bit of housekeeping around your, your websites and digital assets and so forth at the moment. And then just making a start in whatever way it may be towards getting yourself online, be it in a fully fledged system or even a, a more simplified system. Yeah, whatever you can go with to begin with, because a lot of it is a learning curve too, to figure out there's plenty of people that can tell you um, and, and move you up the ladder like I do. That's that's not the difficult part. The difficult part for a business owner is figuring out how does this work for me and my customers and the relationships I have with my customers. And one of the, so mostly I talk about in the context of online shops because that's my sub sub specialty but a lot of um, clients also are service-based providers and that can be really tough to translate online because it's really i need somebody to contact me because we need to have a chat really i need to know Mm. if i'm a painter i need to know how many rooms are in the house and like what quality of paint are they really thinking about uh, so i don't pitch too high and lose the business so we need to have a chat Uh, so to to translate something like that what i talk about is productizing the services so when i started i would do that i would talk about so how many pages do you think you want and and do you want integrations and do you want to collect email addresses and send that to mailchimp or constant contact and all this kind of stuff and i would go away from the first meeting and figure out all these things and how long it would take and how much per hour i wanted to earn and add that up and that's the number i would give them but that would take so long and a lot of effort and after, after a lot of this, um, I realized that there's there's two or three types of projects that I'm seeing here quite often. And the number I end up with might be two or 300 either way. But 
if I present a number to them in the first um, meeting where I say, okay, that's, that's a business level website in terms of what I do. This is the number for that. This is what it includes. This is what it doesn't include that you can kind of get a bit fancier on if you want. And a lot of the times I would make the sale in that first meeting. And that's because I'd productize the service for this amount. This is what gets done. Um, and we can move on. And that saved a lot of effort. And I could tell that they were happy quite quickly and it really speeds up the process and you can do that online as well so if you think about if you're a product type person and you think about what you do if you're a graphic designer you can be like right it's a logo that they want and there's lots of different ways people might want a logo but what you could do is if this isn't a you know a revision or, or this is a revision of a logo so it's a two or three hundred because that's how long it takes you or that's what you feel generally is or is this a new logo package where they want a couple of rounds of feedback as well and you say okay so there's the logo package and you've got the feedback and there's two rounds of that built into this price and you get the the pdf and the .ai file at the end of it and you tell them the full story of what it is and this is stuff you do anyway if you're in these things or you have like the let's say the platinum you know you have this bronze silver platinum type thing you see yeah. The platinum one and that example is a full branding package where you have all of that stuff and plus we do letterheads for you and we do business cards and we give you the the rgb or the cmyk values for the colors that are in your logo that you can use at some other point when you want say a presentation deck designed or if you want a big poster and it happens to be a different designer if you don't come back to me yeah. um, these are the colors that you want to be used in so productizing your services can really make generally face-to-face -face sales easier, but also allows you to put these packages online, explain what they are, what is and isn't included. Because the most thing people want to know about is what's the ballpark? Are you like way out of my um, league and what I want to pay for this? Um, or are you really, really cheap, which, and you don't want to be really, really cheap necessarily either, but yeah. that has implications for quality, but they get this idea. And I find that with, when I talk with US clients, they, and I ask them what their budget is, they'll tell me. They'll tell me straight up, this is about what I'm thinking. But Irish clients never do that. They don't They don't want to tell you how much they... Yeah. And, I and think they also don't have a good grasp of what they value these things at, you know? That's exactly it. At the beginning, I thought it was like a cultural thing where Irish people just don't do that. But I think you're right. I think it's that I don't know what I'm supposed to be paying. What's I don't know what's reasonable for this. So they want to hear yeah. a couple of things. Um, and we... So that's when productization is great because if they have a, if they're developing a relationship with somebody that's competing with you and they're having this back and forth and the guy's asking them all these questions like, do you want this or this or this or this? When you can say, this is the kind of thing, this is the number uh, and I can do all of this stuff for you within that. If they think that sounds about everything and less hassle and I'm happy enough with the number, you can have made the sale while the other guy is still going back and forth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm liking to hear you talk about some of the stuff there as regards the branding packages, because you've no idea how many times in the last years I've worked with clients who want to put their logo in a video or a photography or whatever. And then you ask them first and you get this tiny low res JPEG that you can't do anything with. And they don't know who did their design. They don't know what their colors are. It's it's crazy how many Irish businesses don't have a solid grasp of the need for a branding package. Well, so this is the thing the the funny thing is because you're more creative and this makes so much sense to you, why would you not have these things? But when somebody pays for a graphic design or, or for a logo at that point in their business, they just want a logo for whatever. And once it does that job, they're grand. But yeah. if you're selling graphic design, you can educate those um, 
people to say, what I'll give you, I'll give you these files. You don't know what the hell they are. You don't know what Adobe Illustrator is. But the next yeah. time somebody comes to you, when Jeff asks you, where's that thing <laughs> that you want? File. <laughs> give him this thing and he'll, he'll know what to do. With it. And yeah. it'll look really good because, you know, you can explain what vectorization is to them. Um, and yeah. even that knowledge that you're giving them is, is hugely valuable. So that allows you to be a little bit more expensive because the quality of what you're doing is more. Even though the guy who did it cheaper before probably had the AI file, maybe even sent it to him, but didn't educate him enough to know that when Jeff comes to you looking for this, this is the thing he's asking for. Yeah. Don't be searching desperately in your emails trying to remember what was the name of the guy from the company that sent you the logo three years ago. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And I think... Just listen to you talk there as well. There was something that someone put up online the other day and it made a good point. It was a, a guy who was in the kind of fitness industry and he was saying something similar to you, but in a slightly different sense. That obviously a lot of gyms are trying to transition online at this point in time. And whatever type of gyms it may be, or any fitness classes. And his whole thing was don't wait until it's too late to get it right. Get online now. Even if you're just recording on your phone for the classes, figure it out and you have time to perfect it as you go. Get it done now and stay in touch with your client base and give them something for now. Absolutely. And now is the golden opportunity for that because people will be very forgiving of content and mess ups. And everybody's going to assume that whatever pricing you put on it is introductory. You know, this is a special time. So it makes it easier to change that later on, adapt it when you learn what does work and what doesn't work. And it's also a great time to openly request that feedback from your customers, even through that video, nice and open, or if you have a, like a closer relationship with some of them that are a bit more chatty or open or that you're more comfortable with, ask them and tell them like, be brutally honest here. Is that, is that too much? Am I not charging enough? Is the video okay? Or am I a bit shouty or a bit quiet or, you know, mm. tell me, tell me, if you, and, and don't listen to one person's feedback. If you hear it from a couple of people, begin to start listening or if you suspect yeah. yourself. Um, so don't don't change everything all at once. Um, yeah. But once you get some feedback to realize, yeah, I thought that might be a bit too low or too high or a bit um, noisy or that background wasn't great and, and change those kind of things and tell them that, you know, yeah. oh, I've been listening to your feedback, guys, and I've made these things change and let me know what, what you think about that. And if you're using YouTube, for example, that let me know in the comments and, uh, the thing that you hear on lots of YouTube videos is really useful because that starts a conversation online that you can then respond to and you'll pick stuff up from that. You can answer people's questions. You can send them links to where they can buy stuff or sign up for stuff or whatever else. And there's a lot of learning to be done there. And as you say, you, you can jump in nice and quickly. There's, there's an awful, there's no point in designing something without involving your customers and spending a bunch of money to end up uh, having something that you think is really nice and you've thought through so much and you think works really really well to realize that no i actually misjudged it that's not the way people work at all so jump in yeah. give it a go and you can't yeah. can't go wrong yeah and i'd say like you know like you said time to, it's the time to dip your toe in the water and see if this is even for you at all before you invest heavily time and money in it and I guess on the other perspective, the other side of it for the end user for ourselves, because we're all going to be experiencing new things too in the next while. Don't be afraid to give that feedback that you talked about there as well to your friends and business colleagues who are trying something new because it's only going to help everyone at a time like this. Yeah, particularly if, if you know a little bit about some area or you know that they trust you a bit more and you're open to doing that. 
pick up the call, have a chat with them. And, and if you're on the giving side, remind them this is just one person's opinion. Uh, I, yeah. I, know, I know about this side of it, but not so much about this. So yeah. spread it out like that. Yeah. Okay, Elton. So then just uh, very quickly, um, do you think maybe any resources online that you direct people to go to to start this? Um, any particularly good places for tutorials or what would you reckon, recommend? So it depends what you want to do for my own stuff. Um, I have my own blog on sharkyconsulting.ie, which has a good bit of information. If you want to get into Joomla from a um, content perspective, there's a resource that I run called easyjoomlaguide.com. And there I developed a, a PDF um, manual for Joomla that is for day-to-day -day use of it that people download and just have on their desk when they're editing their content and sites that I do. But there's also a nine video introductory screen sharing type course where I talk you through the basics of Joomla. If um, you want to start off in Joomla for free, they have a um, 500 megabyte disk space free option at joomla.com. You have to log into it every 30 days to keep it up and running, but you can even install your own extensions there. WordPress has something similar. Um, I don't know if you can install stuff there, but it's wordpress.com. I think theirs is paid, but there's a four euro a month, I think is the lowest one on that. For general stuff, it's more about finding something that is quality than, than anything else. YouTube is quite good for lots of um, things. If you're going with Shopify or any of those groups, they will have their own YouTube-like videos that might even be hosted on YouTube that gives you the um, a screen of them doing it. And that's the best thing. So to, to try and figure out how much hassle is it going to be for me to take my SKUs and descriptions and all that and get it into this system before I can start getting to a place where I can have people come to it and maybe buy stuff. That's the hassle factor with that. So watching somebody do it will give you a sense of, ah, oh, that's okay. My skills, I could do that. Or, or if it's way too much for you to start with. Yeah. I um, suppose it's better than to learn that then than, than when you're trying to do it. Absolutely. And to, just to get back to the homework bit again. So we just talked about getting your products online. There's a bunch of other stuff that's really valuable to do. Um, that I always mention when I'm reviewing people's websites. And one of the main things is the about us page on a lot of websites is a rehash of what that company does. And what it really should do is tell everybody why you do it and who you are and how you got to where you are. So that the story of the story I gave at the beginning actually about me of where I came through and what I did bringing me to where I am and what I do that gives a lot of when I tell that to people or on my website and somebody reads it that gives a lot of trust to people because they know why I do what I do and where I came from and it all makes sense even though I didn't as I was going through it at the time it always makes sense retrospectively <laughs> So that's what the about us page should be. It should be about the passion that you have for what you do and how you got there and whether your dad did it before you or whether it's the family thing, whatever that is, and that's all great for building trust with people. Um, the contact page should have a form in it, ideally, not just a, an email address that you click on because that, that kicks up an email application that everybody doesn't have. It's less of an issue these days because it, it works really well on mobile. You can have multiple contact methods like clickable phone numbers, um, so if they are on a mobile device and they click a standard phone number, it just calls it. Lots of people are building in WhatsApp even. So that's cool because people, some people like to kind of text message rather than call, or they can send you a message and they don't expect a reply straight away. Um, 
what will be really useful at the moment is physical addresses. Make sure you have a physical address on your website if you want to do um, click and collect with people or pick up locations. So if you're working from your home and you're not comfortable with the idea of people calling around to your home, maybe some local business that has a physical location is happy um, for you to use their address as a pickup collection or these um, parcel motel things. People mm -hmm. have done Large companies Indeed. have done that with petrol stations. So maybe if you're friendly with local uh, utilities like that, they might be able to help you out and things like that. Uh, delivery pages explaining the general costs or locations you deliver to. Again, if you're small and you're starting off with this, you don't want to be shipping um, some spoon that you've carved to to France straight away necessarily. And that's a really bad example. It'd be really cheap to ship a spoon to France. <laughs> <laughs> But metal you might, spoon <laughs> you might want to only ship to certain locations for whatever reason uh, weight or costs or things like that so you can put all that stuff up there as well as refunds and returns policies so with payment mm -hmm. solutions they will have certain policies on what they will give you back if you have to do a refund within a certain amount of time paypal used to refund the, their entirety of their fees if you did a refund within 30 days now i think it's it's either none or a less amount of their fees so the the amount that was paid will get refunded, uh, but you may have to eat the fees on things like that. So check with whatever payment systems you're using, what can be done there. But to be honest, a lot of people are fearful of returns when they start on this thing. And I talk to them and I say, so you have a physical shop doing this. How often do you get returns in your physical shop? Because it won't be that much different. And that tends to ease their mind. It's so a pretty good uh, par parity in fairness. Like. Yeah, it's a good way to think about it and not be fearful. It shouldn't be that much different. Uh, if it is, there's something wrong with the information that you're displaying that people don't know what they're getting and when they get it, they send it back. Uh, privacy and security policies, of course, are useful to be in there. Look at the examples for that. And the other main thing is blogging or a news area. If you, if you have time and you're the type of person that likes to write or is interested in writing, you might like to have a blog. Not everybody should have a blog. If you're not going to be into writing it don't do it. it it's not necessary if it's worse when you go into a blog and you see and uh, the last time this was updated was the two posts that were put into it when this website was built back in 2008 <laughs> but if you are really passionate about what you do you could like i'll talk all day every day about web design development user experience joomla all these kind of things to the point where i'll be told to shut up so if you're the subject matter expert in what you do um in your blog, you can talk about what's new, what's interesting, what's popular, what to watch out for, the pros and cons, and talk about yourself and what you do. It's good because it just gives a, a bit more kind of information for people in relation to the nature of business and what to expect. And then, as we said earlier on, kind of feeds back through into the nature of that relationship. Exactly. And it's, it's not like every month you have to add something. If you do have something interesting, go for it. And that content that you wrote last year around Mother's Day um, about you know, the flowers that represent, if you're a flower shop, flowers that represent certain things. The next year when Mother's Day rolls around, you can reuse that content. Um, if you're, you're mad busy this year and you want to put something on Facebook, you can pop that up again. People aren't going to remember. Uh, and it's not necessarily a calendar-based thing. So events can happen in the news where um, they talk about certain things that are relevant to your industry. And you might have written something that's similar or interesting in that months or years ago that you could either just pop up there or go back in and edit and add a bit and just make it a bit more updated so over time that will actually um give you more power to spread content and content uh, that will bring people back to your website uh, without 
continually adding a lot of effort. But if you're not into writing to begin with, or if, if it's going to be a hassle for you, it isn't something to, to jump into. And when you do share stuff on other sites, um, the way you share it is very important. So if you paste a link into Facebook, for example, it will it'll make the link blue. It'll allow people to click on it. But you can then also delete the ugly link and um, change the net, write another message in there. So you can write the bones of what the big blog post is about on um, in one or two sentences there, whereas on the blog, the first two sentences mightn't be um, the core of what you're telling, although it's better if they, they are. And then you have a thing that a lot of people hopefully see, fewer people will click on it uh, and bring them back to your website. And that takes me back to where you're controlling your own digital assets. If you can move some of your audience in the direction of social media or wherever you're wherever you don't really control things fully back to your own website within that blog post you might be talking about a product that you can sell even if you're not selling directly in that post which you shouldn't always be um, you shouldn't always be selling directly in your blog you've brought them to your website you might have stuff on the sidebar they might just look around you've brought them into the shop at least uh, and they know about you a bit more if they've done that that's that's a lot of information for people to process there i think in fairness yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll ramble and rant about this for as long <laughs> as, as possible. Yeah. Alton, from your own point of view, if people want to get in touch with yourself with any questions or maybe consider your services, what's the best um, place to go find you? Well, with, with the name uh, like mine, it's a little unusual. So you can literally just Google my name and the first 20 or 30 results are actually me. But otherwise, you Shark, enough? <laughs> that's quite good. Sharkconsulting.ie or thejoomlaexpert.com. Um, it, it's very easy to find me online. Just Google me, you'll find me, no worries. Yeah, and as ever, sure, we'll have those notes for people in the show links anyways. Super. Um, Alton, thanks, Amin. I think, you know, as we said, now is the time for people to maybe take some of this stuff on board and, and make the most of it while they can. So uh, enjoy the chat. And I think I maybe have learned a few bits even myself there as well. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on. It's good to talk. Cheers, Alton. Thanks for listening to Creative Voices. This podcast is sponsored by Treebark Store and produced by P3B Photography. For more information, find us on Instagram, treebark.store or at P3B underscore photos. You can visit our website, treebarkstore.com or p3bphotography.com. Thanks again and catch you on the next episode.